You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, what's up, everybody? I hope this podcast finds you well and everything is good in your neck of the woods. I'm putting out this one as a little bonus episode just because why not? Why not? We need that content to get through the days, right? So this one is with Kathy Valentine. Now, never in a million years would I have thought that I would be talking with Kathy. This is absolutely bananas, and the fact that you all tune into this weekly, or if this is your first episode, welcome, 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 my mouth's falling apart. Welcome to it. It's kind of late over here, folks. That's why I'm stumbling over myself. But anyway, welcome to it. And I can't believe that I'm talking to Kathy on this episode. She was tremendous. She shared so many insightful thoughts. She has had a vast experience in the music industry. She loves gear. And it was just a great, it was just a great chat. You know, when you just have one of those things that just go well, this is one of those moments. I wish I could have talked to her all day, but she had other things to get to. Anyhow, enjoy this episode. And I don't really have much else. Just, you know, if you like this show, be sure to rate and comment on it. You know, all that standard podcast stuff. People ask, if you're listening to this, you know this by now. Rate, comment, share with a friend, all that good stuff. It helps so much. It really does. It's not a lie. It's not just some cockamamie thing that we're making up. Sharing this with a friend, family, coworker, anybody you can think of that might enjoy this conversation, if you just get done and go, hey, you know what? My Aunt Margaret really would like to hear this conversation. Or, you know what? My brother Billy, he would, he would probably enjoy this for whatever reason. Sharing it with that person means the world. That's seriously what helps the show so much. So, without further ado, let's get into this one with Kathy Valentine from the Go-Go's and so many other projects. She's a legend. Check it out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Kathy Valentine. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? Pretty excellent. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is going to be a lot of fun, and I hope I don't have too many like old nerd questions. <laughs> about... <laughs> no. But uh, I don't know. So usually I have people kind of give their backstory because I talk to a lot of builders and people who may not have had as many interviews under their belt. But you know, you've been around for a while and probably given a ton of interviews. But maybe if we can give a a bird's eye view of who you are and what you've done in the music world, that'd probably be a good place sure. to start. Yeah. Um, well, my name is Kathy Valentine, and I have been in bands for 45 years, like nonstop, always in a band. The most famous and well-known of my bands is the Go-Go's. In um, the Go-Go's, I, I joined when I was 22. I, my first gig, I was 21 years old. It was New Year's Eve at the Whiskey A Go-Go. Um, and we went on to make a record about five or six months later, and it went to number one. It was the first album by an all-female band that wrote their own songs and played their own instruments that went to the top of the charts. And it was the first one and the only one still to this day. So uh, that's a, something I'm very proud of. Uh, but I've also, and I played bass in the Go-Go's. Um, people that are fans of mine know also that I'm guitar is my main instrument. And when I'm not in the Go-Go's, I've always been playing guitar in a rock and roll band. 
And uh, I recently wrote a memoir and it came out just the other day and it's called All I Ever Wanted, a rock and roll memoir. And uh, I live in Austin, Texas. Uh, That's where I'm from. I moved back here about 13 years ago um, after being in LA for the rest of the time. And I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's a... I, I got to say, like, uh, obviously I'm familiar with the Go-Go's and have listened to them on and off for a long time, but I was listening to the uh, soundtrack that accompanies your memoir, and that was actually super interesting for me. I, I haven't read the book yet, because like you said, it just came out, but I was listening to that soundtrack that got sent over, and I was just like, oh man, this is, this is so interesting. Like I was listening to like a cheerleader in in particular really grabbed me for some reason. And I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk about some of the story. I didn't get to listen to the entire thing because obviously you wrote a lot of songs, one one for each chapter, right? That's No, that right? no. The, the book has 42 chapters. So that would have been a bit much. The, the chapters are not real long. Sometimes they're just four or five pages. So I picked... Um, I picked ones that just kind of spoke to me that I thought I wanted to explore musically. Um, Mm -hmm. Besides being a musician and playing in bands for 45 years, I've also written a lot of songs and uh, produced things. I love just getting in my home studio and, and creating. So um, I picked, I picked the chapters that kind of resonated with me and made me want to explore them musically. And yeah, I really, I really thought it was one of the most creative and interesting uh, things musically I've ever done in my life. And it's kind of ironic because, you know, it was all by myself. I did do a solo record in 2005, so I had a little bit experience of not writing in a band context, and I enjoyed it then, but it's never been my driving ambition to be a solo artist. I kind of just did that because I was... Actually, I was pregnant and I just wanted to keep doing music, but I didn't want to be out in the clubs playing as a pregnant mm-hmm. woman. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> uh, that was my first solo record. But this was more, it wasn't like I want to make a solo record. It was like, I really want to make a soundtrack to this book. I couldn't believe that more musicians haven't done that. I mean, if you're a songwriter and a musician and you write a book, it just, for me, it just seemed like a natural thing to want to do. And, um, I, I love doing it. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. So I was going to ask, I don't, it does seem like a natural thing to me and I don't know of anyone else that's done that. Can you think of anybody else that's tried to do that? I can't even think of anybody. No, I don't think it's been done. I'm sure it will be done a lot now and I'm going to be doing more of it. Uh, I would like, I was so interested in the intersection of storytelling and and crossing it over to my musical experience um so yeah and the soundtrack i should say it's it's available digitally on all the available platforms but it's also part of the audiobook so that's kind of cool too people that get the audiobook they will get the entire soundtrack and there will also be underscoring like where i'm reading things if there's music that can kind of accompany underneath, not hopefully in a distracting or annoying way, but um, in a way that kind of pulls the listener in more. So the audiobook's going to be a whole different experience than reading the book as well. That sounds awesome. And I think people that are fans of podcasts, like those that are listening to this right, right now, uh, will probably get a lot out of that format. That sounds like a perfect kind of combination, especially for this audience. Like, yeah, it's almost, it almost is like, yeah, it's almost like it's a podcast because, um, you're listening to the story, but you're, you're also getting other elements to kind of draw you in. I'm super excited to check that out. That's going to be awesome. Um, so since this is supposedly kind of a gear podcast, but I don't know, it's, it's evolved so much over time. I might have to like redo the description of it one of these days because it kind of just goes off into whatever territory the conversation leads into. I mean, like, so you're primarily a guitar player, but most people know you as a bassist. So when you have gone back and forth over the years, like, like, can we talk about those rigs and what you're playing and what your preferences are? Yeah, sure. Um, and to be, to 
I mean, the, the interesting thing is, I mean, I haven't really gone back and forth. The Go-Go's is the only band I played bass in. Um, uh, so when I joined, it was supposed to be temporary. I was going to fill in for their bass player. But as I was learning the songs, and I and I, I lied. I was like, they, I, I met the guitar player um, at a, just at a gig by chance. And she said, we have eight shows at the Whiskey, and they're sold out, and we need someone to take our bass player's place. Can you play bass? And I was, I was like, oh yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so I spent four <laughs> days kind of frantically learning uh, all their songs, and uh, I borrowed a bass from someone. It was a Mustang bass with a, a scaled down neck, and so it felt it felt better for me as as somebody that was just switching over from guitar. And um, I think people that play guitar and, and then move to bass have a different kind of approach to the instrument. And, and I played very, very much like a guitar player and over the years, just kind of more and more so, um, which means that I'm not like a, I mean, I, of course I care about pocket and groove, but you know, I'm not like slapping and all that stuff. I'm like playing with a pick and I'm playing melodic, uh, kind of cool bass lines that support the song hooks when it when I can stick a guitar a, a bass hook in there uh, so that was my approach to the instrument and um, when I when we started I don't even remember what my first bass amp oh yeah I think it was um, I think I just kind of inherited whatever they had and I so it was just a an SVT rig but as soon as we got big I got an endorsement I was the only person that Galleon Kruger ever endorsed. I have a, a cool photo, a poster on my wall, actually, of me with uh, the first uh, RB400. And oh, cool. uh, yeah, and and I, I don't think they really in, needed to endorse anyone after that. They were just kind of a go-to for a lot of bass players. So I never really thought about bass gear that much the whole time in the band. I, I just, you know... I I was always so preoccupied with guitar tone because to me I can't play very well if I don't have a good guitar tone. But with the bass, it just needed to sound it sound just needed to sound like a bass, you know? Right. And <laughs> it's like I, I didn't like agonize. And the, the main thing that annoyed me was like way more so than guitar, like venue to venue, it would change, you know, like it's oh, like yeah. it really affects the bass sound, you know, where you are. And so that was kind of annoying as a bass player um, was just like constantly having to readjust. And like with a guitar amp, you know, you dial it in and that's pretty, it's going to sound good, you know, once you've got your sound and you might, you know, nudge it here and there. But with a bass rig, man, it's like, one gig, especially you're like outdoors, one place, and then the stage is like this kind of stage. So that was the biggest pain in the ass, like always having to dial in every single time a bass sound. Yeah, the the venues just, especially with the bass, like you're saying, like it'll all be like trapped in one corner or like, man, this venue has no bass. Like what yeah. what is going yeah. on? Like it varies <laughs> So much. And then you're just like totally, you totally just have to trust the sound man. I mean, on the level of the Go-Go's, you know, you have a crew. I mean, I, when I'm not in the Go-Go's, I'm just like any other working musician. And, you know, I've done plenty of gigs where I can't hear anything and, you know, or don't even have a monitor. I mean, I've done every kind of gig imaginable. And, uh, but in the Go-Go's, I get to experience what it's like to play gigs with, you know, everything is, you know, you have a, a crew person, you have someone switching your strings for you, tuning you up, you've got a sound guy. So you get to a point where you just have to trust that your crew is, is doing their job well and that whatever, however it sounds on stage, you get it as good as you can and just hope that the sound man is making it sound good in front of house. Are you more comfortable with the kind of the crew attending to everything like you just described, or do you like to be more hands-on? What, what suits you better? Well, whichever, whatever, it's just, I just accept whatever the situation is. Like when <laughs> I play with my band, I just, I just 
haul everything in and I plug everything in and I set, I do it all myself. You know, we very rarely does my band have, have any crew people. Um, if we get like a tour, like every now and then we'll get some gigs opening. And so, uh, we might, we might hire a local or somebody to help out just so we're not like, you know, schlepping gear around right after a big cool gig. But, um, so yeah, whatever. It's not that I have a preference. I just, I'm just kind of a working musician that has the blessing of getting to experience the whole spectrum of what that means. And that can be, you know, playing to a handful of people at one club and playing to a sold out club, another place and playing to with the go-go's to thousands of people, you know, so I get to do it all. And I've always really felt really blessed to be able to experience all of it. That's really, that's really cool. I don't think that there are many people that get that, you know what I mean? Like like you get kind of get, sometimes you either stick, stick at one level or you, transcend above and you you never kind of experience that stuff again so getting to regularly experience all that has to be pretty unique but a lot of people you know like billy joe from green day he does he'll like put together bands and go play clubs and stuff and so i think a lot of musicians that make it they they don't really want to walk away or detach completely from that feeling of just being in a little club you know it's i I just, I've always just thought of myself as a working musician. And, you know, when most, especially since the 1990, I mean, the Go-Go's broke up and a long time ago. So, and then we got back together in 1990. And from that time on, we don't work nonstop. It's not like it was in our heyday. We're not continually making albums and going on tour. We might go out you know, for three weeks, one summer, and then not tour for the next summer. So that leaves a lot of time. And don't get me wrong, when I'm when I'm putting other bands together, I'm always hoping that they're going to be successful. You know, I'm always hoping that we'll get a record deal or something. But the way things have turned out for me, uh, it just hasn't. The Go-Go's has been the most successful thing, but that hasn't stopped me from trying. And all the, I mean, I know what a good band is. I know what a good player is. I know what a good song is. I know what chemistry feels like. I know all the elements and I'm super proud of every band I've ever put together or been in. They've all been great bands, but there's another element that no one can really control. And that's whether, you know, you just kind of hit with the luck and the timing and you know, all it takes is one person to go. That's what happened with the Go-Go's. One person said, yes, we want to give you a record deal. Every other company passed and one person said, yes. So, you know, once you know that can happen, it's kind of like, I just always play in a band and yeah, I would like magic to happen, but I also love doing it. So if it doesn't, it's not like I'm going to go, oh, you know, we didn't get a record deal. Let's break up. Let's, I'm going to start something right. else. It's, it's not like I'm chasing that. It's just that I'd be lying to say, I didn't hope that we'd make it big, but it's all good. I mean, yeah, just being able to, to do it is, is kind of, you know, it's a blessing in some ways. You know, I've, I think that about myself, you know, I've, the listeners know all this and I won't go into the details, but like, you know, I was a mechanic and now I get to spend my time talking to people like you. Uh, and I'm like, this is wild, man. Like, this is this doesn't make any sense that that this yeah. happened. I'm glad it did. But it's 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 hard to hard to wrap my mind around sometimes. And yeah, just the fact that we're sitting here doing this is amazing. So I can only imagine your experiences, you know, being even beyond that. It's it's really yeah. kind of crazy. And, you know, like in the, in the go-go's I, in the nineties and beyond, I started working. I never really got a full on endorsement, like where they would like do picture. It kind of gets on my nerves because I've been playing Fender instruments since 1974, um, exclusively, um, I think I got mad at them at one point and played an Ibanez bass for a little while in the Go-Go's, but I started working with them and getting, they would make me like a, a, a precision body with a jazz neck because I have small hands. So that, that was kind of the bass I used. And then you'll like this story. Um, 
I guess it was like sometime in the, yeah, like 95. And because I'm from Texas, I, I'm friends with Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. And we were in LA and we were having lunch one day and I was saying, oh, the Go-Go's are going to tour and I haven't been playing bass for a while. And I, I put it on and it's just so heavy. And he was like, I'm going to take care of that. So he just pulled out his phone and he ordered me a bass from this guy, John Bolin, that makes all ZZ Top's guitars. And I was sitting there thinking, oh, this is nice, but you know, how much is it going to cost? Uh, like, I, I didn't think he was going to get it for me, uh, which he wasn't. He just like ordered this bass and Luckily, I could afford it. It wasn't. It wasn't like <laughs> un, unaffordable. Thank goodness. But he he like designed it. He goes just. He goes. I want her to have a Telecaster type bass, hollow body like you do for Dusty, and um, and he said and just dip it in a vat of silver sparkle, head to toe, and that's oh, what man. showed up on my doorstep. And this bass is like insane it's like the whole thing the fretboard everything is silver glitter and it's just gorgeous and it was light so um i played that bass a lot right now it's in the rock and roll hall of fame and in, in an exhibit i let them take it for like two years but uh the here's the really cool kicker so i had the bass thank you billy for setting hooking me up but then about a month later i got a knock on the door and i went and there was a fedex guy with a giant box and billy had gotten me a matching telecaster guitar the same exact oh. guitar this, so i have like this matching guitar and bass and they're both like just from from uh the the strap not to the the tuning peg the whole thing is silver sparkle that is so awesome. cool i yeah really i hope cool. that there's pictures of these on the internet that i can find because i want to see these uh, really bad i'm sure i can send you some yeah yeah I that can would send be you awesome some. well let's talk about more guitar stuff because we we talked a little bit about the bass rig but you said you care more about the guitar tone and which is uh obviously perked my ears up a lot yeah. So what are your go-to, like, what, what's the whole rig look like from guitars, pedals, well, everything? It's interesting because um, when I first started playing and I was a teenager, the first guitar I wanted was, I wanted to play a guitar like Keith Richards. And I was 15 years old and I, I'm pretty sure I was the only 15 year old that a girl that had walked into a store and I, I get them mixed up. I either wanted a deluxe and got a custom or I wanted a custom and got whatever. It wasn't exactly Keith's one, but, and then I got a horrible amp. It was like a, the guy sold it to me and I didn't know amps. So my first gear was, it was a cool guitar, but it was a, a terrible PV amp. And then I met these rock and rollers in Austin and they kind of took me under their wing and they're like, you need a better amp. And I got a sun concert lead, which Ooh. is still, I think it's a, it was, it was like, it was, it, it wasn't exactly what I wanted, but I didn't know what I wanted. So it's like, all I knew was I wasn't crazy about it. And very soon I got my first guitar that I fell in love with. It was a 62 Strat and I still have the Strat. It's been my favorite guitar for decades now. But um, when I became a bass player, the whole time in the Go-Go's, I didn't think about guitar much. And after the Go-Go's broke up, I was really kind of lost and confused. I'd let that become my whole identity. And it took me probably five years and I got sober and I kind of was floundering around and I put together a band with Kelly Johnson, who was the guitar lead guitarist from girls school. And we had a band and, uh, but I wasn't sure what I was doing. And finally in 1992, I thought, just go back to what you, when you way before the go-go's, when you first started, you wanted to play guitar really well. And it's not too late. Maybe you won't be in a huge band, but I decided to just go back to the basics and, I thought I'm going to put together a blues band because so many of the bands I love, like the Stones and the Faces and the Yardbirds and just so many cool rock and roll bands, that's where they started with. And at that point was when I went, I know that the most important thing is like tone. I know it. So it's going to take me a while before I can play as well as I want to. 
but I can make it sound good. And, and I figured out really quickly that you don't have to know a lot to play cool stuff. And all you need is a really good tone. So the first amp I got in that period was a vibra, I mean, a vibraverb. And I got a vintage vibraverb with my strat. I got a vintage tube screamer. And I got a wah-wah pedal and that was it. And that's all I've stuck with, with different amps over the years. But that was for the first couple of years, that's all I used was a, a wah-wah pedal, uh, an old tube screamer, a tuner, of course, and a, um, and a vibroverb with my 62 Strat. And it's just like, it's a killer, killer sound, killer sound. Um, over the years, I started getting, I got for a long time into the Tweed Baseman, the reissue of the 59, mm-hmm. like Tweed Baseman. And that was my go-to for a while. I had a, I was, so I was really into older gear, you know, like I don't like the the new tube screamers. I like the old ones. I've got three of them. Uh, they're hard to find, but I, I have three. And I call it liquid velvet. It's just like, because it doesn't sound... It just sounds so uh, like ripping sheets or something. It just sounds so good. Uh, and uh, I had an old super reverb. I, I was visiting my dad in Lubbock and my uncle pulled up. <laughs> he pulled up and he goes, I got this stuff I'm trying to pawn. And I'm like, what kind of stuff? And he goes, oh, a guitar and a amplifier. And I said, well, let me see it. And it was like a 60, 64 super reverb and a 59 oh, wow. freaking Telecaster. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. Wow. I'm like, you don't want to pawn this stuff. I said, I, I want it. And I said, you definitely, you know, you should let me, if you want to sell it, let me sell it for you because you're you're going to get ripped off. So I ended up getting it and for like, not very, he didn't want very much. So I held on to that stuff for a long time, but here's where I'm going to start like changing everything. Cause over the years as a guitarist, you know, I have amps I hate and I have amps I love, but lately, and I don't want to alienate your listeners, but I'm 61 and I'm just not as strong as I used to be, you know, like I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to throw my back out, like putting my damn amp in the trunk of my car, in the back of my car. So, I've been really interested in checking out some of these like crazy light amps that exist now. You know, um, I haven't done it yet, but I've been little by little getting rid of some of my stuff. I have a Vox AC30. I still want to sell. I want to sell my basement. I sold the Super Reverb I got from my uncle. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's really heavy. And I, I kind of need to go on a big exploration and find something that's light and has this, the good sound. That's what I need to do. Cause that's the, my, my vibra verb is, it's got a, uh, a, a JBL and it's just so heavy. All my stuff is so heavy. I can't take it. So I maybe mean, you can help me with that. Maybe, you know, like what, what's a good amp that's like they just make these crazy amps the the the, i have a band called the blue bonnets in austin and my other guitar player is named eve monse and she grew up with gary clark jr she's an amazing guitar player and her and gary gary uh they learned how to play together he always gives her a shout out everything everything he does he gives a shout out to eve She's amazing. And she just got this amp called, I think it's a honey dripper. And I just get so jealous when we do a gig because I'm like lugging my vibraverb in and she's just like lifting it up with her pinky almost. (laughs) It's just like, and it sounds really good. It doesn't have a lot of watts, but it sounds good. Well, I I mean, the listeners are going to get tired of me doing this, but I promise Chris isn't paying me. But uh, I am a huge fan of Benson Amps, which is a local guy to me here in Portland. And he makes one that uh, is really light. It's 15 watts. It's called the Monarch. And it, I mean, I love all it. I think Chris's, Chris's ears just like work with me for some reason. Like everything that he's made or helped helped make, I'm like, yeah, I think that sounds really good. And there's been times when he was working on an amp for me uh, that 
uh, was it's a, it's kind of a long story, but like I was it was kind of like our ideas came together and he kept saying, oh, I've got a I, I got a new tweak to do to it. I've got a new thing to do to it. And I'd be like, oh, come on, like again. And every time I, I think it was like five times I brought it up to him or something. It did. It sounded better every single time. I'm like, OK, I'm done questioning you. Like I keep questioning <laughs> you and and I'm like, like, if you think it sounds better, I almost guarantee I'm going to think it sounds better, too. So, but he's so got one this called is the Monarch. like a Benson beat like with a B like Ray Benson. Yep, exactly. Yep. Cool. Yeah. He, check it out. And they look really cool. And uh, yeah, there's a ton of really good players that uh, are playing his stuff now. Um, but what about on stage? Does it sound loud if it's only 15 watts? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's oh, yeah? it's it's powerful. Yeah. I mean, he's got bigger amps, but like if you're looking for light and good tone yeah, yeah. and loud enough, uh, there's plenty of people playing Monarchs on stage. Um, you know, it's and if you need to go a little bigger, he does have bigger amps. But if you're trying to find a nice balance between lightweight, yeah. good tone and loud enough. I, I have a hard time not recommending the Monarch. It's it's he makes them in these nice pine cabs. Uh, so they're they're real light. It's it's really nice. It's uh, one of the I'll things check like it out. It. And it's like um, if if I didn't go that light, I, like at South by Southwest, uh, we my band used to do a lot of like day parties, like, you know, unofficial, but they're the, they're kind of more fun than the actual official stuff. So a lot of times they have a backline because they're just like one band after the next on and off stage. And I fell in love uh, two years ago with a Supro. I don't know what the model was, but it sounded amazing. And I checked those out, but they were like $3,000, I think, for like just a small little amp. So, I mean, if I sold some of my good old gear, it would be okay to spend a bunch of money if it's the right amp, I guess. But yeah, and the thing is, I don't like on stage, like I don't want my guitar coming through the monitor and I don't want to hear the other guitar. I want to fill up the stage with sound. I don't like in-ears. I don't like instruments in the in the monitors. I want to hear the stage filled with sound, just like the drums are filling it up. So um, that's my only worry, like if the other guitar player could hear my amp, if it was, if it was too, uh, too small. Right. right. So right. surely there's surely there. It's just I think it's just going to take a lot of trial, trial and error and ideally getting to take an amp to a gig and check it out, you know. Well, you know, if you ever come to Portland, uh, I have one that you could definitely check out. Uh, well, that'd be fun. It would be, well, we'll have to get my band to, to go there and play because uh, it's a good rock and roll band. It's really cool. That'd be really cool. That'd be fun. So I, uh, I have a Facebook group around this podcast and I popped in. I always forget to do this and people are probably tired of me making this excuse, but I never think about it until I'm right about to interview people. I popped in there and said, hey, we got questions for Kathy. So we do have a couple good questions and uh, we'll, we'll go into those real quick. So okay. uh uh, Sonia Quartzleaf, she said, if she could go back in time and give herself advice about being in music, what would she say? Um, let's see. Advice about just being in the music business? I think that's what she's getting at. Well, that's a question that comes up now and then. It's it's a little broad. Um, I mean, I kept my publishing so I don't need to tell myself to do that uh I wrote songs so nice. I don't need to tell myself to do that um I didn't give up and followed my dream so I don't need to tell myself to do that um <laughs> I think um I was always grateful and and enjoyed in the moment what I was getting to do so I don't need to tell my I'm just trying to do this process of elimination because I nothing's popping in my head so Well you've I'm done a lot of think. things right so that's that's a nice start. <laughs> yeah so let's see if I could tell myself something you know I would have to say if I had one regret I got 
I got, when, remember when I was just talking about like how in the nineties, I just decided that I was going to go for it and become the guitarist I wanted to be. Well, mm-hmm. I got pretty good. I mean, I'm never going to be a, I'm never going to be the fastest, most technical player because I'm a left-handed uh, person that plays right-handed. So my left hand does pretty well moving around the neck and making chords, but my right hand isn't as coordinated as if I was you know, so with the pick, I'm not real precise. Um, so where was I going with that? Oh yeah. So I knew I was never going to be the greatest, but I wanted to get really good. And I got very good in the nineties. And when I became a mom, I, I kind of put it aside. I was like, okay, life is pretty full now being a mom. And I don't know if I have time to woodshed and practice for hours a day. So I kind of let that go. I think if there's one regret I have, I get really excited, like the guitar player in my band, Eve Monse, she's amazing. Um, there's a, a, a girl, a woman, I should say, I, I often still say girl, I don't know why, I still feel like a girl. And there's a woman in Austin, Jackie Benson, she's amazing. Uh, there's so many great, great women guitar players. Sometimes I kind of wish but it's hard to say that because I got to be in the Go-Go's. I got to be in a huge band. But sometimes I will admit that I kind of wonder what had happened if I just had just stayed with the guitar and just become that player, become that like like really great guitarist, like way back then, like what my life would have been like. But it's not like a longing, like, oh, I screwed up. It's not like that. It's just like, so that's not really answering her question, but maybe... Maybe if I would go back and just say, you could be, you could still be in the Go-Go's and play bass in the Go-Go's, but you don't have to, you could still pursue the other things you wanted to do. Like it took me all the way to the nineties to start uh, working on my guitar playing again. And maybe that's, maybe, sorry, it took me so long to answer your question, but I think that's what I would say is like, yeah, go be in the Go-Go's, have a great time, be an awesome bass player, but you can still be an awesome guitar player too. You don't have to be all or nothing. That was a, yeah, that was, that was a good, that was a good segue. I didn't expect it, it to go that time. way. <laughs> I didn't either. It's just when I started, I'm such a blabbermouth. I start talking and then I kind of realize what I want to say as I'm, as I'm exploring my answer. So you should be a, probably a lot more than she wanted to hear. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. I get people all the time apologizing for talking too much on a podcast. And I'm like, no, it gets weird when you stop talking. That's when the, that's oh, when the problems okay. are arise well, you so will not good. you will not have that problem with me as you've probably noticed this is perfect all <laughs> right let's see uh we got one from john schick jr and he said uh, you've kind of talked about this a little bit all already but not not entirely he said how how was it joining a band in transition from a punk bass to a more pop oriented sound and did you get a lot of grief from the old fans mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good question. I don't know if we did explore that. So the Go-Go's definitely came from the punk scene, um, in, in Los Angeles and the punk, uh, the whole punk genre did a lot for me as a player too, because when I started playing, my heroes were like, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton and, you know, Jeff Beck and, and like all the guitar heroes. And, I thought I had to play like that to be in a band. And I realized when punk rock came around, like, okay, there's nothing wrong with being a great musician. Uh, And a lot of punk bands are great musicians, but I don't have to wait till I can play like that to start a band. So while I'm in Austin figuring, or actually in England, figuring that out, and I come back to Austin and start the first punk band, the Go-Go's are coming out of the punk scene. So the scene, the punk scene really helped create a lot of bands and a lot of musician and opened it up for us. But I think the music, I think musically, what had happened, especially when Charlotte Caffey joined the band, the songwriting in the Go-Go's became very catchy and full of hooks and, and like more like pop punk. And that's what, what sucked me in was their songs. And you know, when we recorded our album, it was um, Richard Goddard didn't like we were at first we were shocked. We were like, this doesn't sound like 
you know, a, a raw punk band, but he was like, well, you have really hooky commercial pop songs. And he goes, and I want, if you're just playing them 90 miles an hour, it, you don't really get to hear the hooks and the melodies. So we kind of got that. And as the album got more and more successful, we accepted that, you know, these were just good, solid pop rock, whatever you want to call it, songs. But we always had a, a, a punk rock ethic. I mean, we made that album for $40,000 when major labels were spending way more on albums. And it was very do-it-yourself. And we just, you know, we climbed in a van and played every club in the country way before our album was a success. So, and we were playing all the band, all the clubs that the, I called it the punk rock chitlin circuit. Cause it was like, all the places where, you know, the Dead Boys and the the Ramones and Blondie and all the bands that had come before us had played. So uh, we always had a punk rock ethic, and uh, but we were playing more kind of pop commercial songs. And um, the fans, I think there was some loyalists maybe that, that might have cared, but I don't think most people cared. I think, you know... By the time I joined, we were just kind of a band that was popular. And I don't think in L.A. and that scene, there was a lot of overlap. I mean, you you might go see X one night and then on the same bill, the Blasters, who were a Americana roots, rootsy band, would be on the same bill. And you had Billy Zoom and X, who was like an amazing guitar player. Or you'd go see like an art rock band, like the Screamers, I call them art rock. They were super artsy in my book and, or somebody that was just like kind of slamming it out, like the plugs, there was so much overlay. And then on the same bill, there might be a rockabilly band. So, or a, a power pop band, like with, you know, just energetic songs like, you know, I'm thinking Gary Valentine and the No. So to answer the question, the scene had a lot of overlap. It wasn't like, you have to be a punk and you can only like this band or you have to be a rockabilly guy and you can all like there was a lot of uh it was very inclusive i guess is what i'm trying to say so nobody uh nobody in a large group i'm sure there's always disgruntled people when a band gets successful that always happens still to this day you know, like, oh, I liked them when they were cool and nobody knew about them. So there's always right. those disgruntled, disgruntled fans. But, you know, I'm sure I can vouch for most bands don't really care if a few people are pissed off that you changed and got popular. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's interesting to hear that perspective, because like when I read back about like, like, I was, you know, big black flag fan and so reading about them in some things it was like how mad some of their fans were when they started like slowing down and playing with a sludgier kind of more metal feel not that they were ever a metal band but you know like and uh, like how well, yeah. like violent they got with some of it it's kind of nice to hear that it wasn't all like that yeah i mean it's like if if a if a fan doesn't like every album that a band makes, that's their prerogative. They can go find any band, any new band they want, but it's, it's unfair to expect a band not to evolve and change. You know, that's, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, their, their bands are going to, they're going to hit and miss, especially if they stick around long enough to, to evolve if they only make one, like, you know, the Sex Pistols made one record and it's a classic great record, but, you know, who knows what they would have done, you know, if they'd made five right. records. Let's see. All right. Let's see what else we got in here. I, there's new stuff coming in as I, so I have to keep refreshing the, uh, the page here. Uh, I'm looking for got... the, the Facebook page while we talk. I found it. Oh, oh yeah. So there's a, it's a, it's actually the group. Um, around it okay. so there's there's the page there's tone mob and then there's a group called the tone mob and you okay can feel... i'm joining too oh sweet this is the second time this has happened where people have ah. live joined live joined on the, while on the the podcast so let's see i will as soon as i get that i'll oh there you are all right mm -hmm. we're gonna go ahead and just approve you don't have to answer the questions because you told me <laughs> um so there's a few there's a few different questions in there we don't uh, I don't address all of them because some people just like to joke around, but you can feel free to dive in um, 
and ask any questions. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe when uh, I'm sitting around in quarantine, and, right? <laughs> I'll answer the ones we don't get to. Yeah. So so this is a this is a cool. I think this this is one you'll have a lot of perspective on, and uh, it's it's a little bit more of a serious question rather than the kind of base level stuff. But Emilio Rizzo, he wanted to know how do you how did they handle the sexism in the music industry, and has it gotten better now? I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I write about in my book is as I was writing the book, I I started realizing how supportive all the guy musicians had always been to me. Like when I was 15, there, there, I didn't know of, there were no other females in my town that played music and I didn't know about the runaways there. I just didn't have anyone. So I was, if, if the, if the guys had been like, like, Oh, ha ha. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Right. You want to be, if they'd been like that, I might've, it might've crushed me. So I've been, I was always really lucky that I got so much support and validation and, and help. Like if it was like, let's go get you a better amp or here, you know, here, we want to get your band a gig. You guys can open for us. So the, the musicians were so supportive and that's, that's been the case I've noticed all along, you know, with the Go-Go's, the, the, the musicians in the scene were super supportive and, um, um, like just into it. And the sexism came more from the business. Like every record company suit was like, oh, there's never been a successful all-female band before. So no, we're not going to, we're not going to give you a deal. And, or like radio programmers, uh, sometimes uh, journalists would like be very dismissive, especially English journalists. The English journalists were, were super, um, super dismissive like they would really just, they were just yeah they were mean but the the english press was i don't know if they still are but they were known for being super snarky and mean and they had a field day with us so yeah from from uh that point of view but never from musicians and as in terms of now i don't really i don't really know what i think there's a very active patriarchy across the board that's still very much in place but i do know that most, you know, a lot of bands have higher female musicians, and I don't think it's because they want to have a female in their band. I think it's because they're great players. I mean, Beyonce could have anybody she wants, you know, um, right. you know, Lenny Kravitz can have anybody he wants. And it's like a lot of times musicians are, are hiring women because they are doing, they're getting the job done, you know? So, yeah, it's always been. It's always been an interesting thing, you know, because like it's 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 weird that like guitar playing in particular has been like this man's game when it's like there's nothing particularly manly about it. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing there's no reason. Yeah. It's not like it's like a it's not like it's some sort of strength sport or something like that's playing guitar. Like, yeah, anybody can yeah, play I guitar. I never th- yeah, I mean, uh, you know, monkey could probably do it if he practiced enough. But um, it's like, you know, when when we when my band plays, I'm still I still get a kick out of people expecting you not to be good and even being kind of like rude. Like, you know, we'll we'll go play a club and you know, and then all of a sudden you like you just do your sound check and the attitude like does a complete one eighty and. It's like, I still enjoy that. And I don't even get bothered by it because I know what's going to happen. I'm like, okay, this guy's going to hear us play and they're going to change completely. And it happens <laughs> over and over. And I don't, it didn't even bother me. I'm just like, I just kind of like wait for it because I know that they're going to go, oh shit, they're really good. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, one of the most inspirational players that I've found in recent years is a uh, woman named Yvette Young and she's been on the podcast and I've I don't know if I don't know if of anyone that's inspired me as much as she has in the in recent memory with her playing what, what's her name un, uh, Yvette Young uh oh cool why y-v-e-t-t-e young yeah, uh, yeah she's incredible like I've never seen anybody play like she does it's mind-blowing it's well she that, plays uh, like a piano almost it's kind of crazy 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I get blown away by, by so many, um, like that girl, a uh, woman, God, I got to quit calling people girls. Um, <laughs> uh, Tal Wilkenfeld, I mean, on bass and guitar, unbelievable. I mean, it should have started like back with Carol Kay, you know, that's right. when people should have stopped being surprised. Yeah, that is, that's a good way to put it. Stop being surprised. That's, that's, yeah. that's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. Well, let's see here. Um, get around. Oh, okay. Yeah, here's, a, here's another good question. And then that'll be the last one from the group for, for now. Uh, Jonathan Diaz. It was, what's the, uh, the way he phrased it is, what's the toughest part of being in a band for 33 years? But you've been in lots of bands. So I guess playing music for 33 years is how I would probably phrase that one. Um. Well, no, I think being in a band is is really hard, but it's also given me some of the best lessons I've learned in life. And I think if I could pass on anything to somebody in a band, the best lesson I've learned is how people, and you can carry this over into everything, people, what they really want is to know that what they contribute is recognized and appreciated. So what that means in a band context, it's like, you know, somebody, what they, what they do is maybe they take care of the money at the gig. Maybe that's what they, that's, maybe they don't come in with the best song or maybe they don't come in, you know, like with the connections or maybe somebody's really good at booking a gig. And I'm, I'm talking like your basic band here, Let's do like your basic town, you're in a town and you got a band. So a lot of time you don't have a big manager, or you're not super successful. So what happens is somebody's usually really good at at getting gigs and organizing stuff and somebody's really good at you know maybe collecting the money and not losing it and making sure everybody gets paid and maybe somebody else is good at like doing flyers or or promoting on social media so all of that is so, so important and but say somebody else is like they're writing the songs and that's what's kind of making the band so what makes it a good band, though, is when everybody appreciates what, not a good band, but what makes it a happy band is when everything that you're doing is appreciated. Because if you, if you don't have all of it, you know, you're, you're missing something. And maybe somebody, that's all they can bring to the table. But it's, don't make them feel like it's not, that it's not appreciated and that you recognize it because it's so important every little piece so there's that uh i learned that that what what somebody does is so important and a bigger band maybe your drummer maybe your drummer doesn't write songs but maybe they come in and just make that beat like they just make that song just hold together in a way and they come in with this this cool hook that just like you hear that drum beat and you go there's that song like think of we got the beat you know the first thing you hear is this super cool drum beat and you know what song it is that is like so important and you make somebody feel like valued for that, for everything they bring, or maybe somebody thinks of a cool part. That's your job is to think of cool parts for the song. But you want to make sure that everyone is recognized and appreciated for what they bring to the table. That is just so important because otherwise you're going to start having resentments and there's nothing worse than being in a band that has resentments towards each other. It's horrible. The, when it's the best is when you feel like you're in this club and it's this private club and it's just you and your mates and you're just laughing and you're going to the gig and you're having the best time and you got your in jokes. That's what we love about being in a band. It's like, it's just like, it's a great thing when it's great. And unless you're like just hiring a bunch of people to play with you, you kind of want to strive for that, you know? Yeah, that that is just good advice all around. You're you're right. Like regardless of whatever endeavor that you're trying to undertake, if it involves other people, like let them know how you feel about, you know, if they're doing a good job at something, yeah. let them know. Yeah. And you think the drummer if the drummer's the drummer's been showing up like hauling their kit and setting it up and tearing it down for, you know, week after week and year after year and then you get a record deal. And the producer says like, oh, we're going to bring in this guy, you know, or something, you know, that's, that's messed up. 
it's like work with them, take a little bit longer, you know, I don't know. I just have, I just have strong feelings about loyalty. And at the same time, you don't want to be held back. Sometimes you got to do the unpleasant thing and, and cut someone loose, you know, if they're holding your band back. But I guess when it comes to like, you know, the, the songs and stuff, everybody plays a part in making your song good. And if you're in a big band, everybody plays a part and making your song a hit. You know, you're not, if you're in a band and it's your song, you're not going out there by yourself and playing it, you know? Right. And everybody's right. doing the press and everybody's waking up and getting, you know, to the interview. Everybody's doing that. So it's all, it's all valid and it's all important. All right. Well, this was, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I've really, really enjoyed our chat. This is really, really cool. Uh, I'm glad. And I hope some of the people that are, you know, have questions that are actual serious questions and not trying to be cutesy, you know, they're welcome to find me on social media and I'm really accessible and happy to answer. I have a lot of experience. I'm a really good musician and a good songwriter and my, my, uh, track record speaks for itself. So, uh, I would love to engage with anybody anytime. Oh, that's much appreciated. I'm sure people will be hitting you up. Um, so we're coming into the final stretch of the podcast here and there's, there's a couple classic questions I like to get into, but before we do that, I like to give you the opportunity to plug anything you want to plug or say anything you want to get off your chest. This is kind of your chance to put a billboard up for a bunch of people. Say whatever you well, want. Well, I I had a, a 23 city book tour where I was going to go and go to bookstores and all these places. And I was going to be with different people, really cool people. And uh, that got canceled because of the coronavirus. So I'm really dependent on word of mouth. And I think this book is a story that it's not just what GoGo's fans would like. This is a, a really good story about loving music and being a player and being a rock and roller for a really long time and finding your dream and getting it and losing it and what that is like. And I think I think your listeners would really enjoy this book. So it's called All I Ever Wanted, A Rock and Roll Memoir. And you can order it on Amazon or if you want to support indie bookshops that are struggling, you can find them online. There's bookshop.org that gets you know books from bookstores that are struggling. So I would just encourage people to get it and be open-minded that it's not going to be something that you don't think you're going to be into because I think it, it's a story that resonates with a lot of people. And if you like it, shout it out. That's my message. Perfect. Perfect. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to the audiobook while I'm taking my socially distant walks <laughs> around the neighborhood. So it's going to be And like cool. I said, the audiobook with the with the soundtrack, I mean, people can really hear like, I mean, it's got some of my best bass playing I've ever done, some of my best guitar playing I've ever done. I did all the beats. I did everything. I, I did the whole thing. I worked with a co-producer, a great composer and musician in New York, but I did all the recording myself. So it's worth checking out. <clears throat> and it's on Spotify, so you don't even have to buy it. You can just go check it out. And it's also called All I Ever Wanted. All I Ever Wanted. All right. We'll put some links down in the show notes for people to easily check that out um yeah that's perfect thank you so much that was great all right as we get into the the last questions here so the first one is what is your favorite boss pedal boss pedal let's see i don't even know who makes my tuner anymore um i think i have a boss i think i have a pretty cool echo I think, but I'm not sure. I, I got a couple pedals from Alan Durham here in Austin that I really like. Ah, gotcha. What are those? Yeah. No, I got to dig them out. I can't remember what they're called. Okay. I, I had a, my, I had this great pedal board and then, oh my God, I did like four gigs where the amp would just suck down to like, a, sound like a transistor radio. And it took me like four gigs to realize it was my pedal board shorting out. I kept thinking uh, it was like bad electricity. <laughs> I was like going, this is such bad luck. I've got bad electricity. Um, so 
my I had to deconstruct my pedal board and just go back down to my basics. So um, I don't even remember the names. I could dig it out if you want. But, if um, it's uh, if it's easy to do, sex but if it's drive. Like- the sex drive is the is the Alan Durham. I think. Oh no, my gig bag's in the car. See now you know okay. I'm a musician. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. No worries. If you feel like it, you can plug it in the group later or something if you think about okay. it. Okay. No worries. So this is the last question, and this is the one that gets people, you know, people get get pretty heated about. So this is this is a this is a touchy one. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Oh well, vegetarian. I like right. like piles of vegetables. Like when I call them, I say I don't mean, I'm not talking olives and mushrooms. I say, I want them to chop it like broccoli and artichokes and spinach. I like piles of vegetables because otherwise I feel guilty. Like I'm just eating a bunch of gluten and dairy. So I like to just pile it up with vegetables so I can not feel like bad. (laughs) (laughs) I just embrace the shame. I just embrace the shame and go for it. Uh, It's pizza. Just going you're to town. probably a young you're probably a youngster still yeah i'm not i'm not all that old i feel old sometimes yeah. but then i realize that yeah. i'm not <laughs> so your pizza your pizza uh taste might change as as you get older i i can <laughs> lots of my tastes have already changed and so i i'm open to that that is very yeah. very entirely possible yeah well thank you so much for doing this this was great uh i really enjoyed the chat and all that so um, cool thank you very much yeah we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up so for kathy this is blake and as always folks good luck and good tones well there you go there you go that was so awesome i i honestly can't believe that even happened it's so cool this whole podcast experience has been a wild ride for me the people I get to talk to and these things, I don't know. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around, but it's honestly, it's all down to you. Yes, you who is hearing this right now. I'm not, I, I say a lot of this all the time. It's all about the listeners, but it is all about the listeners. Because if it wasn't for you, these people wouldn't want to talk to me. I'm just some dummy on the internet. So thank you so much for checking it out to this point. Please share this with your friends, rate and review on iTunes, and if you would like a little more of these conversations, Patreon is the answer. So for just five bucks a month, you can get access to the whole back catalog of Patreon conversations. We're edging in there on episode 100. We're not there yet. We've got a little ways to go, but we've got a lot of Patreon episodes on there, and a lot of them are extra interviews with guests on the show. Some of them are with my good friend Justin Porter visiting in the Shred Shed. And as soon as all this social distancing stuff is over, I'm sure we'll get more of that in. But uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty good time over there on Patreon. We got a lot of uh, a lot of great content over there. So if that strikes your fancy, that is the place to go. You go to ToneMob.com/Patreon, and you can find all the different levels that are available. Other than that, if you can't support financially, I get it. Times are weird. Times are rough. But just listening helps. Literally just downloading this episode helps. No, I'm not joking. So if you can get somebody else to download it and check it out, you can share with a friend, family, coworker, anybody. It helps the show tremendously. So I'm tired of going on and you're tired of listening to me. So go find another podcast to listen to, support them, go find a rad artist to listen to, support them, do whatever you can, but thank you so much for tuning in. Seriously, it's amazing that you're even doing that right now. All right, later. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, 
you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring and he makes it simple and his customer service is top notch. And I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about and the product is top notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.